0: This is Dan Gingis, author of The Experience Maker, how to create remarkable experiences that your customers can't wait to share. And you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly
1: changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, and thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a Specific marketing or sales book, or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you. And I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. I do this podcast to help me and my listeners keep up with the latest ideas that matter most in the quickly changing and somewhat overwhelming world of modern marketing and sales. My day job is running a marketing agency that helps manufacturers and industrial companies grow their revenue. To learn more about the problems we solve and how we do it, visit salesartillery.com. All right, enough yakking. Let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome Dan Gingis to talk about his new book, The Experience Maker, How to Create Remarkable Experiences That Your Customers Can't Wait to Share, published by Morgan James. Dan Gingis is an international keynote speaker and customer experience coach who has proven that a remarkable customer experience can be your best marketing. His 20-year professional career consistently focused on delighting customers, spanning multiple disciplines, including customer experience, marketing, social media, and customer service. He held leadership positions at three Fortune 300 companies, McDonald's, Discover, and Humana. Dan is also the author of Winning at Social Customer Care, How Top Brands Create Engaging Experiences on Social Media, which was episode 176 on the Marketing Book Podcast in 2018. He also hosts the Experience This Show podcast and the Experience Maker Show. He is a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, go Quakers, and has an MBA in marketing from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. Go Wildcats. And interesting facts he is a native Chicagoan, a lifelong Chicago Cubs fan, a licensed bartender, a pinball wizard, was born on Christmas Day, not in a manger, presumably. And in his youth, while delivering pizzas, he once delivered a pizza to Michael Jordan. Dan, congratulations on the experience maker, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Well, thank you. I am so excited to be back here. And I feel like you've covered my entire life in 30 seconds there. So great job.
1: <laughs> oh, well, those are just such interesting things that I, I picked out of the book. And, you know, having said all that, Dan, I, and I mean this in the most Ferris Bueller way Dan Gingus, you're my hero. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you. I'll take that in a Ferris
0: Bueller way, being a great uh, Chicago-based movie.
1: Yes, such a great movie. And when I know that someone's a a native Chicagoan, all I can imagine is your youth and your senior year in high school was much like Ferris Bueller's A Day Off.
0: Absolutely, definitely. I just never got caught on TV catching the foul ball.
1: Okay, okay. So uh, I should mention, now, I have actually been... I seem to be on a Penn grad role. I've interviewed a number of, of Penn grads like in the last year or two, and... We're going to bring this up again. It's going to come up again in this interview. And also, you're you're not the first Northwestern MBA whom I've interviewed. I also interviewed Dave Munn, who's the author of The Practitioner's Guide to Account-Based Marketing. And of interest to you, perhaps, I've interviewed Philip Kotler three times now. Nice. And, as I recall, you and Dan, neither one of you ever had his class at uh, Northwestern. Is that right? That is
0: correct. I did not. I, I read his textbook, uh, but I did not have him as a professor.
1: Oh, terrific. Well, and he's 90 years old now, and he's got several other books in the works. So, with any luck, I might have the honor of uh, having him back on. So, this book that you sent me has a light bulb on the front. And I don't mean just the picture of the light bulb, it's got an actual light. And I gather that's uh, a limited edition collectible light-up cover, because you've written 51 out of 100. So I'm hanging on to this. So I sent out 100 of those, and...
0: It actually, uh, the intention behind it was to practice what I preach. So the whole book is about creating experiences that people want to share and that are different and unique. And so I felt like if I wrote a book like this, I couldn't send it to 100 influencers in a yellow envelope because that just would be cheating, right? Yeah. So I... uh oh, you're the, Dan Gingas. <laughs> so I'm the experience maker. So the funny thing is, is that we got the idea for the, the actual light in the cover of the book from my daughter's Girl Scout troop. She came home one day and they had um, learned how to make a simple circuit. And she had actually put a light bulb into a greeting card. And a light bulb went off in my head, but I'm bumping. I said, "Uh, "'Do you think that you could put this into my book?' So we had to get some extra tools because, for example, just finding a hole punch that would, that is long enough to get into the center of the book was a little challenge. But once we did that, I invited, uh, she invited a couple of her Girl Scout friends over. And yes, I paid them to, uh, to insert these little circuits into the book and, um, it was put into a box with some other light up uh, paraphernalia. and I'll tell you, it did exactly what it was supposed to do. is I didn't have to ask people to share it, but people shared it all over the place. and they did unboxing videos and they, you know, just thought that the fact that the book lit up was really cool. And so I got a lot of influencer uh, sharing because of it. Uh, and so to me, that just sort of proved that the, the content of the book works.
1: Yes, and uh, I actually had to put a Post-it note on the inside cover so that the light wouldn't keep going off.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> Because there's, correct. A, bat- you there's do. a
1: battery inside, but and it came in this beautiful box with some really cool uh, a swag, uh, some of which my daughter uh, immediately took... Commandeered? Yeah, she commandeered <laughs> it right away, <laughs> yeah. and that was great. And uh, Brian Solis was one of the people that endorsed your book, and I remember reading his book about customer experience it was very much an experience, too. So Yeah,
0: his his book was... His two books uh, really changed my whole perspective, and uh, he is, I call him the godfather of customer experience, and he is uh, not only an amazing thinker, but an even better human being.
1: Yes, absolutely. And uh, so the other folks that I've interviewed, uh, I've had the honor of interviewing, who endorse this for those listeners that have heard some of these interviews, Shep Hyken, Jay Baer, Brian Solis, who we just mentioned, Marcus Sheridan. Ah uh, Joey Coleman, who is your co-host uh, on the podcast, right? Yep, I experienced this. Yeah and uh, Brian Kramer, who I gather from the Acknowledgments is one of your coaches and uh, Neil Schaefer, who uh, has been on the show twice. So it's like it was like a kind of like a little reunion here for a little me. who's I, who Yeah, <laughs> I saw all these names in here and I thought, oh my gosh, this is great. And then Anne Hanley, none other than Anne Hanley wrote the forward to the book. and that was really really it, of course. Ann Hanley is a celebrity. I, I have uh, such a fan. She was one of the very first uh, guests on the show, and she's been a big supporter. And she does she never disappoints when she writes.
0: Yeah, that is true. And that's why I reached out to her. And it was very intentional because, look, any of those people that you named, I'm sure, would have been happy to write a forward for me. I think if I had asked them, they would have done it. But I was really looking for a non-obvious choice, and I wanted somebody that was not known for customer experience, but was known for marketing. Because as you mentioned in the intro, my background is in marketing. My 20 year career was almost entirely marketing. And I look, I feel like I sit at the intersection of customer experience and marketing. And after all, what I'm teaching people is how to create word of mouth marketing. Now, it doesn't say that in the title, but. I'm basically making the argument that rather than invest in yet another email campaign or another social campaign or another Super Bowl ad, if you instead invest in creating remarkable customer experiences, then you create this whole army of word of mouth marketers that talk about you, which of course is far more credible than you talking about yourself. So I wanted a marketing person to write the forward. And then uh, I have referred, I've told Anne this because I've heard her speak a number of times, I think Anne Hanley is actually a customer experience expert dressed up as a marketing expert. <laughs> and and that came out in her forward because her forward was talking all about an amazing experience that she had at a restaurant and you know she puts you right there sitting next to her at that meal and really uh, and you get you just get all of the all the chills all the feels from what she experienced. So uh, she did such an amazing job.
1: Yes, and to the listeners, if you only subscribe to one email newsletter, Please subscribe to Ann Hanley's. It comes out every other week on Sundays, and it is fantastic. And it is a great example of how to do a newsletter. So, and I want to read uh, just a couple of excerpts from the book to give the listener a, a taste of what's what's in here. Taste. See, you, you mentioned the restaurant uh-huh, experience yep. she had in Sweden, and uh, I want to quote from a little bit from hers, and then uh, from from your uh, introduction, if I may. She at one point in her forward on page xxiii that would be 23 for the listeners in Rome what if we thought more for sus- <laughs> the listeners the listeners outside of Rome because
0: they the, the Romans figured that out without yes. you telling them
1: <laughs> there you go So she writes uh, towards the end, what if we thought more systematically about creating consistently remarkable experiences that matter for our customers? What if we looked more intentionally at creating extraordinary moments they can't forget? What if we didn't practice messaging karaoke, singing the same song everyone else sings, mimicking the same words in the same voice, but instead found new and creative and witty approaches that reflect our true identity. Friends, let me introduce you to Dan and the concepts in this book. He'll walk you through all of that. The what that makes for a remarkable experience, the why you need one, and most of all, the how. Tuck in now, friends. It's a fun ride. And she is correct. And I also, as a guy that reads, that gets to read all these books, it was less than 200 pages. I think it was only 167, not that I was counting. But the shorter books are always better, I think, you know? Uh, and so I think it's more difficult to write a shorter book.
0: Well, you know, people have referred to it also as a simple read. And I do not take offense at that. I actually, my writing style has always been. Simple I back in the day, uh, you know when I, I obviously had to have a reasonably good SAT score to get into pen, but i 'll tell you my math was way better than the verbal side because I was terrible at the vocabulary, and learning all of these thesaurus words that nobody ever uses I just wasn 't ever very good at it, and so when I write, I basically write like I talk. And so I use simple language. I don't. I'm not trying to impress anybody with the size of my thesaurus. And so um, I I do hope for people that it's a quick and easy read um, that then inspires them to take action. And then I feel like I've I've really done my job.
1: Well, uh, I think you've done it, even for this knuckleheaded reader. That's the way it came across. And also, in a certain way, it almost made me want to hire you as a speaker. Not that I hire speakers, but it was really entertaining. And I have this theory that the professional speakers out there like you and uh Joey Coleman, they write the best books. And the reason why is because they're so they they've spent years perhaps practicing all the stories and all the ideas and they have a sense of pacing and 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 entertainment. And as a matter of fact, when I interviewed Joey about his excellent book, Never Lose a Customer Again, he said that his first draft of the book was when he went into the studio and recorded the audio for it for twelve hours. And then that became the first draft. <laughs> So I think i 'm once, and Jay Barry even said he doesn 't write a book until he 's given the talk about twenty five times so there you go. Let me just quote from the uh the beginning though the a couple sections in your in your very big uh, in the introduction. My goal with this book is to convince you that a remarkable customer experience can be your best sales and marketing strategy and then show you how to execute it. You see, when happy customers share their positive experiences with friends, family, and social media followers, it's far more powerful and persuasive than any brand campaign. But most of the time, companies are so focused on acquiring new customers that they forget to provide positive experiences to their existing customers. That makes things infinitely harder on the sales and marketing teams, which are constantly saddled with higher and higher acquisition goals each year while many existing customers are heading for the competition to win with customer experience companies must first change their outdated mindset let's start with a statement that might be a little bit controversial especially for people who are in sales competing on price is a loser's game Just ask the owner of a corner gas station. Every time he lowers the price of gas by a penny, the gas station across the street does the same thing. Clearly, that's not sustainable unless the gas station wants to give away the gas for free. Yet, competing on price leads to this inevitable conclusion in almost every industry. Competing on product has also become really difficult, as I'm sure the same gas station owners would attest. After all, they both sell essentially the same products at the pump and inside their convenience stores. Consider a company that many cite as one of the most innovative companies in the world. Uber. I talked about Uber in my previous book, Winning its Social Customer Care, noting that it is such a classic example because it figured out how to create a simple, clean experience for both the customer and the driver. But three years after its launch, Lyft essentially copied Uber. If one of the most innovative companies in the world can get copied, so can your business. So if companies can't compete on price and can't compete on product, what's left? The answer is customer experience. The best part about customer experience is that it's delivered by human beings, and the people at your company are unique. No one else has your human beings, which means you can provide a customer experience that no one else can. And then moving on, in the following pages, I will present many real life examples of companies creating remarkable experiences for their customers. Some will be business to consumer companies, B2C, and some will be business to business, B2B. Some will be within your industry but it's likely that most will not. Don't be afraid of examples that are outside of your industry or competitive set. Often, companies make the mistake of looking only at their direct competitors for inspiration. Stretch your mind and think about what companies in other industries do and how you can apply that back to your company. After all, your customers are comparing you to every other customer experience they've had. And then this last section explains the title of the book. A former boss of mine who recruited me into my first customer experience role said he did so because he noticed that I was always wearing the customer hat in business meetings. I wanted to make sure that the customer was represented as we were making business decisions so that revenue and profit were not the only considerations. When done right, a great customer experience will lead to more revenue and more profit. I want you to become a customer experience leader in your organization. I want you to be wearing that customer hat in every one of your meetings. I want you to be that person who rallies the team to roll up their sleeves and start eliminating customer pain points. I want you to be that person who is always looking to enhance the experience to make it more remarkable. In other words, I want you to become the experience maker at your company, and I'm going to show you how. So, Dan, the first chapter, the title of the chapter, is very controversial. It is. Traditional marketing is no longer enough. How dare you? Please explain this controversial statement. <laughs> and I'm I'm sorry to do that
0: on a marketing podcast. I apologize, people. But remember, I, too, am a marketer, so I love you, marketers. <laughs> it's just that, at the end of the day... Our prospects and customers are getting bombarded with marketing in so many channels. I mean, there are 6 million blog posts posted every single day on the internet, 500 million tweets, and almost 250 billion emails sent every single day. And that's what we're competing against as marketers. And it's really tough to stand out and let alone to hit the mark. And I always imagine it as sort of an archery target, where you've got all these holes on the target. And sure, some of them have hit bullseye. And some of them are in the inner rings and the outer rings. And it doesn't even account for all of the shots that we took that didn't even make it onto the target. But that's ultimately, to me, the metaphor of what our customers and prospects see out there. They're just getting hit with marketing all over the place. And so where do we turn? Well, at the end of the day, as consumers, we turn towards ratings and reviews, recommendations from friends and family, recommendations from professional colleagues, things that we read on reputable sources like LinkedIn. And this is where we're making so many buying decisions. And my belief is if I can get customers talking about a business... We know that that is so much more credible than the brand talking about it. It's even more credible than the CEO or CMO talking about it. When you have real live customers that are sharing their great experiences, that's what gets other people to want to do business with us. And the good news is, and just to throw a couple more stats at you here, we know that a study by Acquia showed that 30% of consumers will share a negative experience, uh, either in a rating and review or on social media, but almost half of consumers will share a positive experience. The problem then, because I know what you're thinking, you're thinking, well, how come we don't see more positive experiences shared? We see so many negative experiences. It's because a full two thirds of consumers cannot remember the last time a brand exceeded their expectations. Two thirds And the good news for us is that that's where the opportunity is. We can be that company to exceed customer expectations, and then we know already that they want to share positive experiences. This is why Instagram exists, right? I mean, people love sharing their beautiful food or their new makeup or whatever it is. They want to share positive stuff. We just don't, as companies, we don't give people enough positive stuff to share.
1: Yes, and just going back in this very beginning, you you quote the HubSpot study, 75% of people don't accept ads as true, (laughs) yet 90% believe brand recommendations from friends, as you were talking about. What's interesting in this very first chapter is you talk about all the pluses and minuses of a lot of these traditional marketing approaches, and I think some people who are spending a lot of money on these, it's going to hurt when they read it. Now, not, not all of them are bad and all things make sense in a certain instance. But you go on to write that, you know, there's, there's a better way than spending more on marketing and that's to focus on your existing customers. But the, the thing I want to ask, though, is why do companies spend so much money and time focused on higher and higher sales and new customer goals, <laughs> yet not nearly as much time with the customers they already have who know, like, and probably trust them?
0: Yeah, that is the question. And, you know, remember, without customers, we don't have a business. And I think that every company has got to look at their customers as their number one asset. Now, employees, I would put right behind. Because, you know, we need our employees as well to have a business. But if we don't have customers, there is no business. So if they're the most important asset that we have, why are we ignoring them? Why are we not spending time and money on them. Instead, we keep feeling that more has to be better. And so it's more new sales, bring in new customers, give the new customers the best offers. How many times have you seen a cable company or a cell phone company offer the best offers to new customers only? Mm -hmm. Boy, as an existing customer, does that aggravate me? Where's the loyalty to me? And one of my former bosses used to say, I love this phrase, loyalty goes both ways. And it's so true. Mm -hmm. I mean, if customers are being loyal to us, why aren't we being loyal back to them? And so, again, my belief is you don't have to take all of your marketing dollars and stop marketing and stop bringing in new customers. But if you take just a portion of your marketing and start putting it towards your existing customers, you're going to get existing customers to spend more, stay longer, and refer people. And that is going to grow your business
1: faster. So the question then is, why do so many companies focus much more on getting new customers than taking care of their existing customers and or what is it that you've observed about companies that suddenly get it and realize that they should actually focus on their current customers at least as much as they do getting new ones? Well, I think the
0: reason they're doing it the way they're doing it is because there is so much focus on growth. And whether that's with public companies or it's with privately invested companies. But one of the things that we're starting to see, even in the venture capital space, is a bigger focus on customer retention Mm. as a lead indicator for how successful a company is going to be. Because, look, I can bring in a million customers a month, but if they only spend a week with me and they leave, what value are they? Right, and so assuming I'm not selling a you know hundred thousand dollar product once, um, but for most companies, we need customers to stay to really ac- achieve that lifetime value, and so I I do believe that it's this endless focus on top line growth, uh, and and that push for that that is creating this desire to only focus on sales, but if we really want to focus on profitability. We're going to get, again, we're going to get more out of our existing customers Mm -hmm. by getting them to spend more, stay longer, and refer their friends.
1: Yes. Yes. It reminds me of a a friend I ran into, I guess, before the lockdown. He had a Tesla. And he was showing me the car, and it really wasn't much to see uh, the car. He didn't really talk about the car. The whole thing he talked about was what it was like being a customer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh-huh. And that whole experience. And it was it was it was really interesting to see how they've engineered that. So there's a concept in your book that you mentioned a few times I'd like you to explain. And that is you say there's no longer such a thing as an offline experience. Dan Gingus, what are you talking about?
0: Well, the reality is there used to be offline experiences. Uh, getting on an airplane used to be an offline experience. Um You know, things that we did in our own homes or maybe even in our offices were offline experiences. Today, everybody has a camera in their pocket, in their purse, on their person. And that means that every experience can come online in an instant. Mm -hmm. And all you got to do is remember that guy that got dragged off the airplane, and we all saw the live uh, viral video of it, to understand that today's airplanes are no longer offline, (laughs) right? right? And so the thing is, is that companies often defer to being concerned about that. Oh, no, what if somebody shares this? And I want you to change, uh, change that viewpoint around and say, how do we get people to share this? How do we create the type of experience that they want to share, that they can't help themselves they're going to share? Uh-huh. You ever, I mean, we've all experienced it. We're doing something, we're experiencing something, and nobody tells us to pull out our phone and take a picture of it and share it on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Or LinkedIn. We just do it. We mm-hmm. just, something in our inside just says, oh my God, I got to take a picture of this and I got to share it with people.
1: Yeah, every and- time I see another passenger getting dragged off a plane, I video it. Right.
0: Of course, I do too. But even with the positive experiences that we have, we want to take a picture of it. And so, I want to give you uh, an example from the book of this that I actually now use uh, post-publishing the book as, as really a metaphor for companies. And the example is when I uh, took my 15-year-old son... He wanted to go out for steak for his birthday. So we took him to Fleming's Steakhouse. Mm -hmm. And we walked in and the maitre d' handed my son a birthday card that was hand-signed by the staff. Now, I was impressed. I had never seen that before. But what was particularly interesting, and admittedly, maybe this only happens in families where dad is a customer experience guy, but even the kids were saying... I wonder what they're going to do at the end of the meal. It's going to be something cool. Because Mm. if they give us a birthday card, they're going to do something special. And so they had built up, without saying anything, they had built up this anticipation of what was going to happen at the end of the meal. And we had a great meal. And at the end, Flemings did not disappoint. They came out with a box of homemade chocolates that was sitting on a plate where happy birthday was spelled out in cocoa powder. And instead of a candle, they put a sparkler in it because a sparkler is so much cooler than a candle. And I'm telling you, four people at the table, two adults, two kids, no one asked us to. We all pulled out our phones Uh and we all took pictures of it and shared it. The adults to Facebook, of course, the kids to Snapchat, of course. But just like that, Fleming's had four people talking about their brand in a positive way just because they created an unexpected, memorable experience. And so the metaphor there is the candle versus the sparkler. The fact is there's nothing wrong with a slice of cake and a candle. It's a very nice gesture, except it's not memorable because every restaurant does it. Every restaurant grabs the waiters and waitresses and sings happy birthday and embarrasses the person. We've all done it a thousand times. So it's not something that we're likely to pull out our cameras and want to record for uh, posterity. But you bring out a sparkler and people are like, ah, oh, now this is cool. Even the picture that I took of the sparkler, where you can literally see all of the sparks, individual mm-hmm. sparks, it's so cool, right? It's a great picture. And so, where in our business are we? Do we have a candle that just by upgrading it to a sparkler, we can make the experience so much better? And this also plays to another theme in the book, which is that we talked about what people like to share. They share positive experiences and negative experiences. We got to also cover what do people not share? They don't share average experiences. Mm -hmm. They don't share ordinary, plain, as the millennials say, meh. Nobody has ever said, let me tell you about the perfectly average restaurant I went to last night. Those are not the experiences we share. And so there are so many opportunities that we have where we are average. And as you said earlier on, we're doing something because our competitors do it, because we've always done it, because it's the expectation. But that's not going to get people to talk about us. So I like to tell, if I talk to a room full of bankers in a speech, I like to say, if you're looking for inspiration, the last place you should look is other banks right? A bank bank should be looking to an amusement park for inspiration, to a movie theater, to Chuck E. Cheese, to um, Disney, to Apple, to Starbucks. That's where they should be looking for inspiration. And that's what I try to do in the book is provide you inspiration from lots of different companies in different industries so that you can stretch your brain a little bit and say, man, what if we did something like this? at our company. And I know you have B2B marketers who listen to the show as well. Don't worry. There's plenty of stuff in there for you as well. B2B is not nearly as different from B2C as B2B marketers want to think it is. Because at the end of the day, the buyer in B2B is also a consumer. And, and whether you like it or not, you're being compared to that restaurant that they went to last night and mm-hmm. had an amazing experience. Now their expectation is they have an amazing experience with every company they do business with.
1: Yes, and I would say there's even greater opportunities for B2B because there seems to be uh, uh, less maturity. Uh, yes, you no, know, almost no one is doing it, <laughs> and and so there is huge opportunity. And Let me
0: give you a quick example on B two B that is such an easy thing to do. And I, look, I've worked for B two B companies before, so I know this from real experience. Plus, I have a lot of uh, of clients in the B two B space. When we sign, when B two B companies sign a new deal, what happens? Well, there's an internal celebration. Maybe there's a Slack channel. Maybe there's a bell that they ring.
1: Maybe they go out for drinks. Maybe there's a a press release on that section of the website that nobody reads. Yeah, (laughs) Exactly. But the point is, we are all celebrating
0: and we have not invited the guest of honor, which is the brand new customer. Instead, the brand new customer is sitting at his or her desk. And what they're doing is what any of us would do if we just made a giant purchase. They're worrying that they made the right decision. They're worrying if they made the right decision. They're asking themselves, man, I mean, I went through this RFP and there were six choices, and I think I picked the best one. But man, if I screw this up, my boss is gonna have it in for me and I could lose my job. And so they're already experiencing buyer's remorse. Mm-hmm. And and what's happening is the, the B2B company's off celebrating without the customer. And so the first thing I want B2Bs to do is invite the customer to your celebration. I don't care if it's a virtual celebration, that's fine. But I want you to put your arm around the customer, tell them they just made the best career decision of their lives, and tell them that you have their back and are going to make sure that they're successful. And that is going to completely change the experience for the customer that just signed a large contract and is worried about their career. They're going to now say, they're going to relax and they're going to say, all right, I know I made a good decision because these guys are going to take care of me. The second thing that B2Bs do immediately after the celebration is they hand the customer off to somebody else, usually a customer success team or an account management team. But what's missing there is that the reason the customer chose the company, at least a big reason they chose the company, is because they liked the salesperson we all buy from people that we like. When I chose a window company in my house, I interviewed seven window companies. We actually went with the second most expensive one, but we really liked the salesperson. And so if the salesperson, the first thing they do is hand you off to somebody else, now you're feeling like, wait a second, I'm here because of this person And this person no longer wants to do it, have anything to do with me because they're off on their next sale. So we leave the customer not with a very good taste in their mouth right when they become a new customer. And this is what Joey talks about, right? The first hundred days. Mm -hmm. And part of executing on that is making sure that that salesperson stays with the customer for at least the first couple of months. They don't have to be active. They just have to, the customer has to know that if they run into a problem, they can go back to their salesperson, and that person will still be invested and will help them solve the problem.
1: Well, Dan, there are still some listeners thinking, "Yeah, this is all great, Dan Kingis, Mister Customer Experience." You know, uh, talking to the marketing book podcast boy—that's that's great. But pretty early in your book, you make the business case <laughs> for why this is why this is so important, and I just wanted to talk about that. And there was something in here. Uh, you mentioned Aquia. Earlier And I, this reminded me of Brian Solis's book where it was a different study that he, he referenced from Bain. But you write that 90% of customers believe that when it comes to delivering a good customer experience, most brands fail to meet their expectations. That's 90%. Yeah, it's then, pretty much everybody. Yeah, and then you go on to write what's even more mind-boggling is that 82% of marketers believe they are meeting customer expectations with regard to customer experience. There's such a massive disconnect. And in Brian's book, he talked about the Bain study. I'm sure you know about it. You talk about it where they, I think it was 362 companies who said about 80% thought they were delivering a good experience. And then Bain went and uh, interviewed all the customers. And I believe it was only 8% (laughs) that said they were getting a good customer experience. So this this is amazing. But help us make the, you know, the, the case for why this makes so much sense. I mean, it really is where the money is.
0: Yeah. Well, the first thing that certainly comes to mind as you're saying this is that marketers are not doing a good enough job getting to know their customers. And I want to give you an example that's not in the book, but it's from my, my very first job out of college. I worked at a collectibles company called the Danbury Mint. And I actually talk about it in the introduction to my first book.
1: So this isn't in the book, but it's a, a marketing book podcast extra It is. It's an extra. You hear that, listener?
0: (laughs) For your listeners only. Uh, So we sold uh, collectibles, plates, dolls, figurines, um, sports collectibles, etc. And this is going to date me a little bit, but this was all direct response through the mail. So this was like magazines and um, package inserts, newspaper ads, etc. No digital here. And when we targeted people, we had to be really precise about who it was that we were targeting. And where this really came to fruition was something that you mentioned earlier about me. I'm a big Cubs fan. I was marketing. I happened to be running a product at the time. One of our Sports Collectibles products had to do with the home run chase between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And so I was marketing this specifically to Cubs fans and Cardinals fans. Well, when you take a look at a big city like Chicago... You've got Cubs fans, and you've got White Sox fans. And by the way, the White Sox fans, they don't like the Cubs fans so much. So they don't want your cub, your your stinking Cubs fan product, right? They'll root for whoever's playing against the Cubs. Exactly. And so we had to be precise enough to know by zip code who is going to be likely to be a Cubs fan, who's likely to be a White Sox fan, and to make sure that we were putting the right product in the right people's hands. Now... You fast forward in today and we have so much more technology and data available to us than we did back then, and yet we don't often use it to really figure out who the right people are and who they aren't. One of the points I make in the book is understanding who your product is not for is just as important as understanding who it is for. It saves your salespeople a whole lot of time. It saves marketing dollars if you don't have to spend it on people that are never going to buy from you. But I don't feel like we know our prospects or our customers nearly as well as we could. Now, the business case here really comes down to understanding that customer experience is not a soft skill this is these are hard dollars here so when i talk about uh keeping customers longer well we know that we have a lifetime value or we should know a lifetime value number for each customer if you have not calculated that you need to go calculate that Mm -hmm. what is every customer worth to you by the way that'll also help you in your marketing because you'll understand how much you're willing to spend to acquire a new customer but if we get customers to stay longer and spend more, then their lifetime value goes up. If we also get them to refer other people, then we're saving marketing dollars and sales dollars from having to do it ourselves. If we're also providing a great experience such that they don't need to call customer service, because think about it, customer service is basically there for when the customer experience goes wrong, then we're saving dollars on the cost side, too, by not having to have as much customer service resources allocated. So these are all hard dollars that go straight to the bottom line. And again, you have to come back to this concept of without customers, we don't have a business. So why would we not be focusing on that?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I, I just have to just to, to add one more point. You mentioned the Watermark Consulting uh they, yeah. they looked at the Forrester Customer Experience Index, uh, which is, let me quote from here, one of the major annual rankings about companies in almost every industry. And Watermark focused on public companies only, obviously, and compared stock returns of the customer experience leaders and laggards to the uh, Standard & Poor 500 over an 11-year period. And basically, the leader stocks returned nearly three times those of the laggards, tell that to your cfo
0: <laughs> yeah exactly and if you're not a public company don't worry because the we know the major driver of a stock price is profit i mean at the end of the day we you know the market wants yeah. to see companies that are making money and so there's not that is not coincidental that the customer experience leaders outperform the laggards by a lot in the stock market and no question that follows through for private companies as well
1: Yes, uh, we don't want to. We want to talk about revenue and marketing, but we should also be talking about profits. And also, you mentioned. Um, I, I- a totally satisfied customer contributes 2.6 times as much revenue to a company as a somewhat satisfied customer a totally satisfied customer contributes 14 times as much revenue as a somewhat dissatisfied customer and a totally dissatisfied customer decreases revenue at a rate equal to 1.8 times what a totally satisfied customer contributes uh, to a business and those are stats from infoquest so dan in our uh, remaining time uh I want to focus on um, an acronym you have in the book. But first, let's talk about Ben Franklin. You know which school he founded, right? I do. He founded the University of Pennsylvania. Go Quakers. Yep. So he is famous for having said, allegedly having said, because I can remember hearing this from my dad when I was growing up, (laughs) early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and what?
0: Wise.
1: Yes. So.
0: Indeed. So, uh, coincidental or not that I happen to come up with an acronym uh, that spells out WISE, having been a Penn grad. I I have to be honest with you, I wasn't thinking about that previously, but now I am, and so thank you for making
1: that connection. Well, Dan, there's no off position on the genius switch, as I may have uh, demonstrated to you just there. (laughs) But yeah, explain uh, the WISE acronym, and we'll we'll try to get into some of these, because this really is sort of the, the backbone of the book. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, W stands for witty, immersive, shareable and extraordinary. And these are four elements that will contribute to the types of experiences that people want to talk about. Again, I'm not trying to get people to create the absolute best experience out there. I'm trying And they don't to get- have to have all four necessarily. No, you do not. You can use even just one. They are stackable but but even just one will get you out of this realm of being average and ordinary yes, and, and kick you up a notch to being better than your competitors and to standing out from the crowd. The good news is that the customer experience bar is pretty darn low, <laughs> hence the stat from before that nobody remembers the last time they were, their ex- expectations were exceeded. So getting over that bar is not that tough. You don't have to high jump over it. You just have to be a little bit better than average. And so Wise helps you do that. And quickly, Wise, uh, Witty stands, uh, Witty is about being clever. It's about using language to your advantage and it's about refusing to be boring. But it it's not
1: about it, trying to be funny, right?
0: Correct. It is not about humor, which, as we know in marketing, can be very successful and can be very dangerous. High risk. Yes. And so there are certain brands out there, I'm thinking Taco Bell, Wendy's, Charmin, that have sort of established themselves as brands that are funny. Chances are most of the people listening to this podcast don't work for those brands or don't work for a brand that has a reputation of being funny. So don't set yourself up for failure there. But being witty is different. And it's really about looking at every communication vehicle that you have, every time you're communicating with customers in whatever channel. Just showing some personality, having a little bit of fun, not using industry jargon or acronyms, speaking so that people understand you. These are all ways that you can um, improve the communication
1: portion of your experience. And that could be on invoices or uh, autoresponder emails, things where people don't necessarily think about it, even a, a door in the hallway.
0: Yes, there's all sorts of examples in the book of places where you would not be thinking that this is a form of communication, and yet it totally is. There's an opportunity. Can you imagine, for a moment, if if a company could make receiving an invoice fun? Think about that for a second. Who wants to <laughs> receive an invoice? Nobody, right? But what if receiving an invoice was fun? And those are the kinds of questions that you should be asking. There's a great example in the book of uh, of waiting on hold and making waiting on hold fun. What if you wanted to wait on hold? What if you went to an amusement park? I don't know, say Harry Potter World at uh, Universal Studios, and there were people that waited in line for the rides and then didn't go on the ride. Because the waiting in line part was so fun. And you walk through the Harry Potter, uh, you know, you walk through Hogwarts and the castle, and literally just the waiting in line part is an experience. So think about those opportunities where, you know, I like to say, refuse to be boring. There is no law that says you have to be boring. Even if you think you work in a boring industry, and lots of people do, doesn't mean you have to be. It just means that's how it's been set up in the past.
1: Yes. And it's a great way to stand out. So the next one is immersive. And you say that means looking at the entire customer journey and ensuring that it makes sense as a whole, like, like you did at those jobs where you were the experience maker. The entire experience should be one continuous smooth ride that your customers feel. But what about the silos? What about you know, the, the marketing person who says, well, I can't control operations or deliveries or things like that?
0: Well, silos are going to be the death of companies at some point or at least the death of customer experience. And so the idea here is yeah, you may run only one silo, but you at a minimum have to be responsible for where is the customer coming from when they get to your part of the experience and where are they going next. And if you can understand that, then you can smooth out those transitions between silos. Also, More advanced companies now have a role like a chief experience officer, a chief customer officer, whose entire job is to look at the experience from the 30,000 foot view so that we can ensure a smooth transition between silos in the company. So this is definitely something that is really important as companies get bigger. It is also about consistency, though, and that's a really a branding thing too, right? We want the whole experience to look and feel the same throughout. Your sales experience should not be different than your product experience. That there, there should you should it shouldn't look like you switched companies, right? It should right look like a feel- continuity error on a movie. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Um, So there's that. Then getting into shareable, that is, um, it may look like, it might seem like the obvious one because it's the end result that we're trying to get at. But you're right
1: that so many companies blow it here. they just not thinking about it?
0: Well, because they think that the way to get people to share is to say, hey, everybody, follow us on Instagram and like our posts and use our hashtag and take a picture of this, this, and this. And people look at them and they're like, uh, I'm not doing that. Yeah. And as a, as a friend of mine likes to say, if someone, if you have to tell someone it's a selfie spot, it probably isn't, because the whole idea of a selfie spot is it's anyone spontaneous, <laughs> right? So I talk about creating experiences like the Fleming Steakhouse, where you don't have to ask anybody. It is just so inherently shareable; people cannot help themselves. They pull out their phones. And yeah. If you have to
1: ask, you're probably doing it wrong.
0: Correct. Exactly right. So that's what charitable is about, and then extraordinary, as we covered, is really about um, being a little being bit better than meh, better than ordinary.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's it's all. That's all you have to do is just be a little bit. It, but it's not about being what I think a lot of people think of extraordinary. It's just having to be a little bit better than boring.
0: Correct. Correct. And or or even just than ordinary, right? Because ordinary is boring. Yeah. And uh, again, here's where you want to look at your competition. And say, whatever they're doing, I want to do something different. Yes. Instead, most of the time, we look at the competition and we feel like, well, they're doing it. We should do it. That's actually the opposite logic you should be using. Because again, if you're doing the same thing as your competition, then by definition, you're not unique. Mm-hmm. And, and unique is what people are looking for. And hopefully uniquely good.
1: Right. And also, there's another concept in the book that's very important where you talk about these are uh, inexpensive things generally speaking, that companies are doing? Like the sparkler. Like, What is is your little sparkler you could be doing?
0: Yeah. So this comes from my time in corporate America. I know how hard it is to get budget approval, legal approval, management approval, go through all the red tape, et cetera. So every example in the book, I really focus on being simple, practical, and inexpensive Mm -hmm. because I want people to look at it and say, I can do this. I'm not even sure I need to ask anyone. I can yes! just go do it. Yes. And that's exactly what I want, how I want people to consume the book.
1: All right. So you don't just leave people at wise. You actually over-deliver, Dan Gengis, which, you know, you, you exceed the customer expectation for the person that's bought and spent time with the book. You've actually got an R. So wiser. Uh, explain the, the R part, uh, the responsiveness.
0: Sure. So R is about being responsive. And really, what this is is that when people are sharing positive things about you and your brand, you've got to be part of that conversation. If I walk off the stage in a keynote and somebody comes up to me and says, That was the best speech of the whole event. And I just keep walking, they're not (laughs) going to think really highly of me, right? They're going to think it's rude. And yet, Millions of times every day, customers go onto social media and share positive things about brands, and they get ignored.
1: Oh, why my guy, would you a little ever bit do inside that? When I hear about that happening,
0: yeah, why would you ever do that? I mean, somebody took time out of their day, used up their own social capital to to say something nice about your brand, and then you ignore them? You got to be kidding me!
1: <laughs> it's amazing. Well, uh, Dan, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be?
0: That you too can compete on customer experience. Every company can do this. You just have to focus on your existing customers, what they want, what their expectations are, and then over-deliver for
1: them. Amen. Great answer. Just go talk to them. (laughs) It's a great way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Give the listener one thing they could do today to put in action one of the ideas from the book and maybe get that boulder rolling down the hill.
0: First thing I want you to do is become a customer of your own company. Mm. It seems so obvious, but very (laughs) few people do it. I want you to try to log into your own website. In fact, I want you to forget your password. And I want you to go through the forgotten password process, Mm. which usually sucks, (laughs) right? I want you to go through and do all of the things you're asking your customers to do that you yourself have probably never done. And while you're doing it, put your consumer hat on. Put uh, Just pretend you're at home on somebody else's website. And if you're getting frustrated, trust me, your customers are getting frustrated too.
1: Yes, and there was a great story in the book about how when you were at Discover, you actually did some analysis of the uh, poor-scoring pages, and you figured out that the some of the buttons weren't working. <laughs>
0: yeah, Nobody exactly. had looked at that. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So
1: are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading?
0: Yeah, actually, a few that we've highlighted on our show experience this come to mind. Uh, Certainly, our mutual friend, Shep Hyken, has a new book, I'll Be Back, uh, which is about getting customers to come back again and again. We also featured a marketing book uh, by John Jantz called The Ultimate Marketing Engine, uh, which I'm really excited about. And then uh, Melina Palmer, a friend of mine, uh, just published a book called What Your Customer Wants and Can't Tell You. And she really uh, comes at it from a behavioral economics perspective, which is really interesting. Oh,
1: interesting. Yeah, I interviewed Shep and John about their books, but I did not know about that one. That sounds very interesting. Thanks very much. Well, at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to everything linkable, uh, including the 10-Day CX Challenge. Can you mention what that is?
0: Sure. So this is a free challenge that I offer people in the book, but you also can get to it uh, straight through the link from this podcast. And you get a 90-second video from me every day that gives you one thing that you can do with your team to start focusing on experience and to improve the experience for your customers. It's easy, it's fun, and it gives you a good sense for sort of getting started with CX.
1: Terrific. And like I said, we're going to include links to that and uh, to your uh, LinkedIn profile, your Twitter profile, your websites, All the books we've mentioned. If listener, if you would please reach out to Dan somehow and thank him for being a guest on the Marketing Book Podcast. The authors love hearing from you. And I don't think this is going to be Dan's last book. So let's make it make him feel like it was a good uh, investment of his time and and he'll want to come back. And if you're listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast and your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. The book is The Experience Maker, How to Create Remarkable Experiences that Your Customers Can't Wait to Share. The author is Dan Genghis. Dan, thank you very much for returning to the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Well, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here and uh, appreciate all the great questions.
1: And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I'll drop it in the mail. And since you're a listener to the marketing book podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating that you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. And remember the words of the entrepreneur and author, Jim Rohn, who said, formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement.